grateful to be here this morning. In case you didn't notice, there's a little lady sitting next to me this morning. That's Cheryl. If I ask her to stand and wave at you, I will be dead by tonight. So if you uh, want to say hello to this morning, just don't, don't, don't make yourself strange. We're so thankful to be together, and we were down by the water yesterday afternoon, and uh, just taking in this beautiful city, and I took a little selfie of Cheryl and I and posted on Facebook and said, you know, happy Thanksgiving from Saskatoon, and we got all kinds of happy Thanksgivings from PEI, we got them from North Carolina, we got them from all over the place where some of our Canadian friends are, are uh, traveling today. Just before I get into the message this morning, I want to let you know that uh, Brent is going to be in the chapel, a number of people following this service, specifically praying for the Hebert family. So if you have a few minutes and you'd like to go and join them in the chapel following this service, we encourage you to do that. Um, we're just trusting God for a miracle. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible or if you have your outline, invite you to follow along this morning. Growing up on a tiny farm in eastern Ontario, I always dreamt of what life would be if I lived in the United States. And I have to tell you why this morning. You see, before satellite dishes and cable and even fiber optic streaming of television programs, on the farm we had a TV tower, an aerial, a very tall aerial, and it had a rotor on the top. Any of you ever have one of those things? Some of you mature people would recognize what those are. <laughs> Attached to the aerial was a rotor controlled by a little small box on the top of the TV, and we were only able to get six channels on a good night. Two were CBC, one was English, one was French, and we had CTV from Ottawa, which, every, you know, that was where everything happened in Ottawa. But there were two U.S. channels, one from, uh, both of them from Rochester, New York, because we were in Lake Ontario. If you can picture in your mind's eye the lake of Lake Ontario, there's a, there's a little island that is in the lake. That's where I grew up. And so we were right across from New York, the state of New York. And so to me, anywhere in the USA was the promised land. Now, how many of you have dreamt about a promised land when you were growing up? Put up your hand. Did any of you say, if only I could live there, I'd be happy? This happens especially when you're in pain or walking down a difficult road. While I was in the midst of pain on my first year, I connected with that great church in West Palm Beach, Florida, called Christ Church. And I remember from a recent message how an online pastor connected with me, and I would go down and visit whenever I was going to the Maxwell conferences. And so Florida, for me, became the promised land, especially in February. I don't know about you, but I hear God's voice much clearer when I'm sitting in a lounge chair next to the ocean. God just clearly speaks better there than next to a snowbank. Now remind me in Saskatoon in February that this is God's promised land. You'll have to remind me because I'll be dreaming of Florida. Often we dream of what could be to escape the reality of what is. I love going to movies of downtown Abbey to sit next to royalty. Often we believe that the land over there would bring us relief. And as a result, 
we will miss out on the lessons that present themselves in the pain we find ourselves in even today. This morning, I want to help you discover how to find the promised land today. Right where you are in your journey and where we are in our journey as a church. How many of you are interested in learning this this morning? Put up your hand. All right. Let me read the passage. It's in your notes this morning. Follow along. We don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it is when all this came down on us in Asia province. It was so bad that we didn't think that we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to a death row and that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, listen to the words I'm saying. We focused Pardon me, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. And he did it. Rescued us from certain doom. And he'll do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. You and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. I didn't want you to be in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now lifted in praise for God's deliverance of us. A rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. Remember the pain is the common link that connects every one of us here into this, in this room and even in the world. While I was traveling on my difficult road, we, could, we can find help from others who have traveled the road before us and hope for others who are beginning to walk along that road of pain. You see, the last time that we were together, it's not what happens to us, remember, but what happens in us that truly matters. Today I want to invite you to understand what truths will help us find that promised land where peace and joy and vitality reside, even here today. Today some of you may be in a new territory. And rather than be filled with fear and doubt, I, would you join me as I guide you on this hard road to the promised land. In your notes, let's, let's look at what God's word has to say to us. First of all, have an understanding that pain is universal. On October the 30th, 2005, in the city of New Orleans, was decimated by Hurricane Katrina. Now, I'm not sure why they used women's names for hurricanes. Things that make you go, hmm. But that hurricane impacted 273,000 people. They were, they were housed in relief shelters home. That total cost was $41.1 billion, which crossed five or six states. It didn't matter your age. didn't matter your status in life, your gender, your income, your education. If you were... In the path of that horrific storm, you felt the impact of that incredible storm. Paul declares for us in this passage, we don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down us, on us in Asia province. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, and that was, it was all over for us. Can you, can you hear the desperate situation that they were in? Lives were forever changed with the impact of a single event. Think of 9-11. In fact, they're saying on the television today that 
What has happened to Israel in these last 48 to 72 hours is literally Israel's 9-11. We had fires and floods in Fort McMurray. We had a big shooting in Las Vegas. We had fires in BC this last summer that just decimated areas. When pain comes into your life, a number of issues come to the forefront. What do you think about? Well, pain gets your attention, doesn't it? You ever stubbed your toe? Painful's focus from what is secondary to what is primary. And pain forces us to prioritize many things about our life, our family, and our job. Yet, what I've also learned is that most people in pain will numb their pain rather than address it. They believe the lie that if they numb it, then it will heal itself. But I'm here to educate you that you can numb it, but it's still going to be there. You see, people numb their pain through addictions. People numb their pain through activity. People will numb their pain through alcohol. They will numb, pain, numb their pain through whatever. You fill in the blank. Well, Bob, I don't have a problem like this. Okay, let me just ask you this question then. When was the last time you sat alone, still, in silence, and just listened to God speak to you? Speak to you. No headphones, no music, no distractions, just you and the stillness and God. You see, the bulk of people today, they can't be anywhere without music or some form of discussion or some kind of distraction. In fact, being alone still in the silence is like a death sentence for some people. If you can't be alone without the noise of some sort, you may be just keeping from feeling or hearing your pain. You just don't want to address it. Life in this world confronts us and inflicts us with pain. And, and Aren't you glad you came this morning? Listen to what Solomon said, a man who had all the wealth and all the wisdom in the world. In your notes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days are of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. How many of you, your minds, when you hit, your head hits the pillow, it just starts to go? I have had to discipline my mind because if I don't discipline my mind, it will drive me crazy. Understand this, that there's pain in the promised land. The bad news is that you can't find a place where you'll never be touched by pain, but the good news is that Wherever you are, if you understand that God is with you, that God is working in and around you, that God is in control and working all things together for good, then pain with God is priceless. Please don't miss this. Pain without God is meaningless, but understanding God can use pain is priceless. By the way, here's the good news this morning. If you were feeling pain, it means you're alive. I was going to ask you to pinch your neighbor, but I didn't think that would be appropriate. 
but just to let them know they're alive. If they felt it, they're alive. Now look to your neighbor and say, if you've got pain, you're, not, you're alive. Look to your neighbor and say, if you've got pain, you're alive. Now look back to them and say, now stop being that pain. <laughs> Dead men don't feel any pain. I've encouraged you before. It's in your notes. If you're, not, if you're not alone on your journey, find a friend to travel with you. As difficult as it is to walk, some days when you are experiencing pain, rejoice that you can feel it. There could be a message in that pain. In fact, when I'm working with clients and I'm coaching them, I will actually say to them, "Let, let your pain be your coach. What is it that it's saying to you? What is it that you're not addressing? What is it that you're not aware of? How do you find that message? Well, look at number two. Ask God to reveal himself in this season. Look at what it says. Paul said, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in your own strength and wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. I remember my first trip to Israel. I remember the first part of the trip, the first three days, we were down in the southern part of Israel. In fact, our hotel was at the shores of the Dead Sea. And by the way, during the night, we heard rockets go over us. I went to Jacob the next morning, and I said, uh, should I be worried? She said, he said, only if they hit our hotel. What a spectacular place to, to visit, though. And each day we would walk some 15 kilometers discovering so many unique aspects of the Holy Land. But one day we traveled to the national park called En Gedi. It was the very valley where David hid from Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. It was almost 40 degrees Celsius, and we hiked in and we hiked out. It was a whole day affair. And on our final stop, the lesson that Mark gave us, our guide, was about the desert because we were in the desert. We felt the heat of the desert. And we were at a certain spot where we were a little bit elevated and we could actually feel a breeze. And he said these words, in the desert you learn who God is and who you are. It is these desert experiences in our lives that confront us with the hard facts about who we really are. It is in those desert times where God has an opportunity to encounter us with a new awareness of his presence. And just before we left our rest spot, Mark said to us, how many of you would do anything and everything to keep from spending time in the desert? And every one of us put our hands up. Today you may feel like you're in the desert. You may feel like we as a church are in a desert. How can the worst thing in your life become the best thing in your life? By what it teaches you. By what it teaches you about yourself. By what it teaches you, most importantly, about your God. What did I learn about myself and about God on my journey? I discovered who I was. You see, like most men, I associated my identity with what I did, and I'd been a pastor for 30 years. I was was Pastor Rob. If you come to my office, you will see that I have... Sports paraphernalia from two of the Bobbies. One was Orr and one was Hall. And they're handwritten notes to me, Pastor Rob. 
But after my pain in my life, I discovered who I was. And after that, I discovered I was a child of the Most High God, and I was loved unconditionally. And you might wonder, well, if you were known as Pastor Rob, then why are we calling you Pastor Bob? Good question. When I was rising out of my ashes one day, I was settling some things in my life, and I heard about how in the Old Testament, when men and women had an encounter with God, that they would experience a name change, remember? To indicate that they had a new identity based on this experience, Abram became Abraham, Jacob would then be called Israel. For me, he whispered into my ear, Bob, your name is Bob. And at that point in my journey, I didn't even conceive that I would be back in the ministry. So understand the context, I never thought I would ever be Pastor Bob. I was just Bob. And calling me Pastor Rob or just Bob or Pastor Bob, I'll respond to all of it, by the way. But it's a constant reminder that I'm not the same person since that moment God touched me. See, Paul said, look in your notes, underline this. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. I wouldn't change who I am today in exchange for all the pain that I had to endure But you have to be willing to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit as God refines you in the crucible of pain. Understand this, that God is in the promised land and there's three areas in which you can trust God in this. It's not in your notes, you might want to scramble some of these down. The first area is that you can trust God for his rescue. Psalm 69, verse 29, I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. How many of you are good at waiting this morning? I thought so. We're not very good, are we, at being patient. And when the heat of the desert starts to make us sweat, we want to run to relief. And my encouragement is for you to find a shady spot to rest and renew and reflect and ask God to revive your sun-parched soul. And while you're in that place, allow God to redeem your pain while you're waiting for him to rescue you. Lean into God and diligently search to hear God's voice as you read his word. Trust it. Obey it. Allow it to convince you that he is for you and not against you. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, said these words. It's in your notes. Suffering is unbearable if you you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Will you underline for you? And with you, many times we do the for you part, but we don't understand, or with you part, we don't understand that he's for us as well. Here's the one truth that I was able to hang on to. I knew God was with me. And then I learned that God was for me too. When you and I experience failure or rejection, it's very difficult to come to the conclusion that God may not, he may be with us, but he may not be cheering for us. Friend, don't let the enemy of your soul accuse you of not being worthy of God's acceptance. Not only can you trust God for his rescue, secondly, you can trust his timing in your perseverance, or your preservation, pardon me. Look at the next passage in your notes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No test or temptation that comes, to your, comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. And you need to remember 
All you need to remember, pardon me, is this, that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. God created you knowing your limits. Now humor me this morning, will you? Will you put up your hand? This is a little exercise. It's going to help you understand something. Put up your hand, okay? Now, now reach a little higher. Okay, now, a little higher. Okay, what's the point? Left to our own devices, we will stay in our comfort zone. But I asked you to move higher, and you were able to. And I asked you to move higher, and you were able to. You see, you can put your hands down. Getting the same results in our life, even though God has given you the desire to be and do and experience more, God knows your limits, and he knows also your potential. I find it very interesting that it was easy for me to look at you and to coach you and say with conviction that you have unlimited potential. God can use you in powerful ways. My problem is, for the longest time, I didn't believe that about me. I believed it about you. You see, we set our own limits on how much we can grow and how powerfully God can use us. God has created you to be more, to do more, and even have more than you can ever ask or imagine. In painful moments, we find out just how strong we are. We'll discuss this later in another message. But we need to trust God for our rescue. We need to trust him for our preservation. Thirdly, we need to trust him for our protection. Look at your notes again, Psalm 25. Look at this incredible verses. Turn to me and have mercy, for I'm alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and seal my trouble. Forgive all of my sins. Look at this next part. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. As we lean into a deeper understanding of who God is and how those experiences can shape us, we can operate under the knowledge of his divine protection. Nothing, folks, read the book of Job, nothing the enemy wants to do to us doesn't come to us or near us without God's permission. Which basically means the enemy's on a string. He doesn't have full reign. I don't have time this morning to tell you some of the stories of how God protected me during my darkest hours. But each day I read on a large post-it note that was right beside the door as I left to go out of my bedroom, someone wrote, gave me these words and I wrote them down and then I put them on this poster to remind me. It said, be the man that two years from now you would be proud of. Be that man today. And every day when I got up and got ready to go to work, I would stop and I would read that and I would say, God, help me to be that man today. Every day... Seemed like it was a test. Remember, God is in the promised land. You can trust him from your rescue. You can trust him for your, or your preservation and your protection. And when you meet him, look at number three in your notes, you can resolve to experience the resurrection power in your life. I heard the story of a man who took his family over to Israel for vacation. While they were there, the mother-in-law suddenly died and they were faced with making arrangements to deal with her remains. That's not a good situation, right? The undertaker said, sir, it will cost you $10,000 to have the body shipped back to Canada, or you can simply bury her here in Israel for 150 bucks. 
The man thought for a minute and said to the undertaker, I'll pay the $10,000 to send her back to Canada. The undertaker was surprised and asked the man, why don't you just save your money and bury your here? The man said, well, I heard that one time 2,000 years ago a man died and was raised to life and I can't afford to make the chance. <laughs> Here's what I know. In order to be resurrected, you have to be dead. Look what Tim Keller says. You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Let me read that again. You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. Understand that God's power is in the promised land, but in order to experience the resurrection power, you must put aspects of your natural life to death. You need to die to self. You need to die to self-sufficiency. And you need to die to scheming to get what you want instead of what God wants. When your partner with what God wants, his power shows up. And the Apostle Paul knew that. Look in Philippians chapter 3. I gave up all the inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. I was, I, if there was any other way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. Look at the life of Paul and see how God's power revealed himself in his life and ministry. Paul was just like you and I. He was a vessel. He was a conduit of God's power and how it could flow through him. By the way, this morning, if you don't have a problem, then you're not a candidate for a miracle. You don't need a miracle. If you're here today and you have a problem, you can trust God for a miracle. I dare you to search the scripture and find anyone who received a miracle that didn't first have a problem. Even Mary had a problem when the angel came to visit her and said that she would be with child because she had not even been intimate with her husband. How many of you at, at least, how many of you here this morning have at least one problem? Don't put up your hand. Every one of you that has a problem is a candidate for a miracle. Let's review. Have an understanding that pain is universal. Ask God to reveal himself in this season. Resolve to experience the resurrection power in your life. And number four, decide to make prayer a key part of your journey. Look back at this passage of scripture that's at the top of the notes. Look at near the end, it says this. You and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. I don't want you to be in dark about that either. I can see your faces even now lifting up praises for God's deliverance of us, a rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. May I ask you, whether you're in a circle group or whether you're not in a circle group, will you add one prayer request to your list? Will you pray for this transition year? Will you pray for wisdom and insight for the transition team that, that we're going to create after the AGM and, and the elders as we guide our church family through this process? Will you ask God to give us all the courage to make the necessary changes in our midst to be healthy and on fire to reach this city and surrounding area for Christ? So 
So here's my personal encouragement. Don't stop praying now. You have witnessed the power of God when times were unclear and when they're difficult, and now is the time to step up and trust God to continue to lead us and to bring tremendous growth in us individually and in this church family. Understand this, that God's answer, he answers prayer in the promised land. But consider this simple yet profound truth that Paul gives us in this passage in Philippians. Don't fret or worry, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Here's the deal this morning. You might want to write this one down. You can't pray and worry too. By the way, if you can Worry, you can meditate on God's word. Because you know what worry is. You just take one thing and think about it all the time. Right? Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Intentionally praying will transform your worries of defeat into a weapon of victory. The enemy of your soul wants you to give up, wants you to quit, and begin to doubt that God cares about you and cares about this church. And I want to invite you to get up out of your rocking chair and step forward in awareness that God's presence is here. He is present in your life. He is even present in your family. And he is present in this church. And he is present in this city. This is God's promised land today. Amen? Now close your notes up, if you would, and allow me a couple more minutes to tell you a story about prayer. In one of the churches that I pastored, two weeks after I arrived, the senior pastor was suddenly removed because there was a discovery of a moral failure. This threw the church into chaos, and the elders asked me, because I was the associate pastor, to become the intern pastor and just take the lead until they were able to find a new pastor. And remember, I was in a, I was in a church that was very difficult. I didn't, I, the reason why I went to that church was I, I didn't want to be the senior pastor. I wanted to be the second in command because I knew the dart stopped with him, not me. And so I said to the elders, I said, you do, you do your search, I'll preach, but I'm not your guy. This church would have been a great candidate for a transitional pastor, but that was before it was even thought of. And so with a pure act of desperation, I stood before the people and I read this story and I, invited you, I invite you to listen carefully to the message in this story. Dr. Wilbur Chapman often told of his experience while he went to Philadelphia to become the pastor of the Wanamaker Church, big church. After his first sermon, an old gentleman met him at the front of the pulpit and said these words. Just think of this. You're a young man. You're in this big church. This older man comes up to you, and here's what he says. You're pretty young to be the pastor of this great church. We've always had older pastors. I'm afraid you're not going to succeed. But if you preach the gospel, I'm going to help you all I can. I looked at him, said Dr. Chapman, said to myself, this guy's an old crank. But the old gentleman continued. He said, I'm going to pray for you that you may have the Holy Spirit's power on you and two others have covenanted to join with me. 
Then Mr. Chap Dr. Chapman related the outcome. I didn't feel so bad when I learned that they were going to pray for me. The three became 10, the 10 became 20, and the 20 became 50, and the 50 became 200. Who met every single service to pray, before every single service to pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. And in another room, the 19 elders knelt so close to me to pray for me that I could put out my hands and touch them on all sides. That's how close they were. And I always went into the pulpit feeling that I had the anointing in answer to the prayers of 219 men. He said it was easy to preach. In fact, it was a great joy. Anybody could preach with that condition. What was the results? He said, we received 1,100 in our church by conversion in three years. 600 of them were men. It was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in answer to the prayers of those men. And I don't see how the average pastor under average circumstances preaches at all without this kind of a prayer support. Church members have much more to do than go to church as curious, complaining, idle spectators to be amused and entertained. It's their business to pray mightily that the Holy Ghost will close the preacher with power and make his words like dynamite. Wow, what a story. I read that story and I said, I have nothing to lose. We're already a mess. And I called upon the men because I knew the women prayed. The women were praying. I called upon the men to come and become my prayer partners and I invited them to a Saturday morning and I outlined the requirements and commitments that it would take if they were gonna sign up to be one of my prayer partners. To my amazement, over 35 men committed to pray for me and the pastoral staff and the ministry of the church. And when I challenged them, I said, if you don't see the need to pray for your pastor now because he just fell morally, then you will never see it. I believe the success of the ministry that I had there was the direct result of the prayers of these men and their wives that were praying for their men. Each day on the, of the month, one of the men would call me and we would exchange requests. What we did was we created a calendar and we took whatever your birth date was. So let's say your birthday was the 10th of October. The 10th of every month was your day to call me and we would exchange and pray for each other. And I had the whole calendar filled up. At 35, I had some doubles. And every day I had somebody call me and we prayed together. And my executive secretary at that time knew that my prayer partner for the day and that they, she would immediately send them through so that they would pray with me. And every time I preached, there were at least two to four men behind the sanctuary praying for God's glory to fall. And if, and if they weren't in the prayer room, then they were in the service, encouraged me and leaning in and growing and praying for me on the spot. When you make prayer a part of your journey, it opens the door for God to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Are we that kind of a praying church? Do we see the potential of what God could do if we committed to pray? How do you find the promised land in the midst of your struggle? Understand, understand that pain is universal. Ask God to reveal himself in this season. Resolve to experience the resurrection power in your life. And decide to make prayer a key part of your journey. Will you pray with me?
Dale, won't you come? Join me on the platform here. Father in heaven, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you're trustworthy. Thank you that you're not only with us this morning, but you're for us too. Many here this morning and those watching online are facing problems. Some are insurmountable and only a miracle will solve it. We're at the end of ourselves. For some of us, we feel alone in the desert. But you are there. And you're here. For some of us, we know, Jesus, you are all that we need because, Jesus, you're all that we have to hold on to today. Reveal yourself to each of us as we journey through this transition. May it not just be a transition, but may it become a transformation, a new encounter with you, Lord. David said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Spirit of the living God, would you just seal upon our hearts today what you want us to respond with. Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us to be grateful for everything that you've given to us today? And thank you for revealing yourself to us. Even when we're in the desert, we can find the oasis. We can find the springs of living water and meet you in a new way. Bless your people today. May they be encouraged from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray.